Welcome to the Aspen Chapel podcast with me, Nicholas Feasy. So last week we marked the beginning of Lent, uh, reminding ourselves that Jesus, on his way to Jerusalem, knew that he was going to die, and that by remaining centered in that divine within himself, rather than trying to control events and circumstances and other people, he was able to remain focused on his purpose while knowing what was going to happen. You know, we spoke last week about the need to keep our hearts full and not to be distracted by what our mind makes us think, our worries about what others think about us, about what might happen to us, about what we think that we ought to do. When we focused on filling the capacity of our hearts with love, the love that we have within us, then we remain on an even keel and are not distracted. That, that's basically what we talked about last week, about staying focused and not being swayed. And I think that the one thing that does distract us and sway us uh, a lot of the time is our fear. And we can all feel that around the situation in Ukraine. Last week, my daughter, who's 16, asked me whether or not there was going to be a third world war. There's talk about nuclear weapons. And all of us really are thinking about what might happen next. The word fear comes from the German word feire, F-A-E-R, which means the actual meaning of the word is calamity or danger. We know it when we have it. It's a crawling feeling in our stomach. It's dread. It's an anticipation about what might happen. We feel it with a diagnosis, with the possibility of something awful happening. And really... Fear is the desire to survive. The mind, our minds use fear to drive us into action. However, those actions that we take may not necessarily, if they're driven by fear, be in our best interests. Fear is our mind telling us to be careful. Fear is warning danger. And when it comes, it makes us act. But our mind becomes focused on the fear. And our mind is continually looking at ways to get rid of it, to avoid it. It then, the mind develops an entire mental construct and activity plans to ensure that we get rid of that fear. At the moment, I think much of the world is being driven by fear. There is fear in Putin's heart at losing his place in the world, both personally and in terms of Russia. There is fear in the Ukraine being overrun. You can see the fear in the faces of the refugees. There is fear in the countries surrounding Ukraine as to whether or not they will be next. There is fear in the leaders of other countries 
that they will not be up to the task of dealing with this danger and of them losing their position. There is fear in all of us as to the fact this might get out of control and then where would we be? Fear is not a good driver when it comes to organizing world affairs. It obviously galvanizes us, but the danger is that it drives us all to the lowest level of activity, which is naked survival. It's difficult for creative and loving actions to come from this fear. Yes, you can see the compassion in those helping people at the borders, particularly the Poles. But with fear as such a powerful driver, anything can happen. On the ground in Ukraine, you can see the courage of the local people, their courage, their heartage. And that courage is something, the courage is something that can transform fear. It leads to action that confronts the causes of fear. But for many of us, I think the fear can be overwhelming. I'm sure Putin's fear is overwhelming, as is the fear of the refugees and many of those involved. When your life's at stake, it takes a big jump to leap over that fear and come to a place that's positive and creative. You can see that in Ukraine's president, Vladimir Zelensky. He has everything at stake, yet his demeanor is often calm and inspiring. We can't directly affect what's going on in Ukraine, but we, we can be responsible for our, our own fear. And the first step in being responsible for our fear is to recognize it when we feel it. We can't do anything about it when we're unconscious of it or we just ignore it. Then it just runs us like gas runs an engine. It, we end up being in automatic. We're not even acknowledging our fear. We're just saying, the mind says, right, just do this. We have to acknowledge our fear. When we do that, when we acknowledge it, we can do something about it. And doing something about it is not just trying to get rid of it. But our focus is often on getting rid of fear and so much time is taken up by this activity that there's often no room left for anything else. But once you do acknowledge it and see it, then you can decide what to do next. Vladimir Zelensky will be having fear, but he's used it courageously to inspire his nation. And we have to do the same when we have fear. We have to recognize it and welcome it and then decide what to do next. Not as a way of getting rid of the fear, but looking for the appropriate action. That famous quote from uh, Viktor Frankl, between a stimulus and a response, there is a space. And in that space is our power to choose our response and in our response lies our growth and our freedom. And when you have that fear, you, that stimulus, between that stimulus and response, there's a space. And in that space is our power to choose our response, to choose our response to fear. 
And in our response lies our growth and our freedom. And with that in mind, we can acknowledge that fear, even welcome it when we feel it, not pushing it away, but holding it and not reacting to it, like, like holding a small, shaking bunny rabbit. You stroke the fear, but you don't change your behavior immediately. You look out and acknowledge the fear and you keep going. In my experience, this is the moment that wisdom appears. We can often see a way of acting in that moment that's not driven by fear because wisdom comes from a different place. Fear then becomes you know, a gateway into acting that's not driven by fear. It then comes as a way of finding wisdom that would otherwise have been hidden. It says in the Bible that fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I think that applies here. In this context, the Hebrew word is yira, Y-A-R-A-H. And it means fear, terror, and awe. So there's an, an awe aspect as well. And if you see fear as the gateway to wisdom, then you're willing to have it. Fear of the Lord is really fear of the circumstances that come our way. The beginning of wisdom is when you're not driven by your fear. And that wisdom comes because even though you feel fear, you're not attached to what will happen in your life. Because you're just having the fear, the fact is you're saying, right, I'm not going to be attached to what's going to happen next. I'm going to operate with that fear. Most of the times, it's our fear of what might happen that controls us. What will happen if I lose my health, my money, my children, my house, if there's a third world war? We try to control our lives to avoid the outcomes that we don't want. And the way to peace is not to be concerned about the outcome. Obviously, you know, the key thing is not to worry. Just deal with what you have in front of you and leave the rest to unfold. You know, Jesus obviously said, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you'll eat or drink, about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet their heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Notice it doesn't say don't try. Don't try and make a difference. It says don't worry. When we see the fear of the Lord as the beginning of wisdom, it's like being anchored by love. We're in that little boat but we're anchored so that whatever happens, the anchor keeps us safe, even though we might think that we need a bigger boat. That's what salvation means. It actually, when you look at the root, it means a place of safety. It means that we're acknowledging that the divine is within us and will give us peace no matter how desperate our circumstances if you draw from that wisdom that's within, then you know 
that you can face whatever circumstances will throw at you. If, if you're anchored there, you, you know you can face it, that you'll have the wisdom to deal with it. When you know that with a full heart, that you will have the love that you need to contain your feelings and the feelings of those around you, no matter what the circumstances, then something does come through. You can see it in those refugees when they're comforting their children. Their attention is on their children. A capacity to act in a loving way comes through. To look at the circumstances that we're in and not try to survive, but look at what the most loving act would be. It enabled Vladimir Zelensky to say when he was offered a way out for him and his family by President Biden, I don't need a ride, I need ammunition. And it will enable us to have compassion for those who come to us for help to respond in a loving way, rather than in a way that will be driven by fear. I mean, fear is there for a reason. It gives us energy and drive. What we do with that energy and drive is up to us. Right now, we need to be calming the fears of those around us, not exacerbating them. We need to be the adults in the room when people ask us if there is going to be a third world war or if nuclear weapons are on the agenda. We can't affect either of these scenarios, but we can affect those who are around us. And you never know what effect that might have, you know, ripples in a pond and all that sort of business. So we connect to that perfection within ourselves and the experience of that perfection is peace. It is the essence of the meaning of that story of Jesus asleep in the boat and the storms whipped up and the disciples get frightened. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. And you can feel the fear. Jesus was in the stern asleep on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up and rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Be quiet, be still. And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to the disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? It's a state of peace that we're talking about in which I can be totally at ease, in which my body, my heart, my soul relax. When you get to that state, then you know no fear. You move beyond that. It is a state of forgiveness. It is a state from which love flows freely. It is a state of inner clarity in which you perceive the truth. It is a state in which I'm able to tell the truth without fear of judgment or rejection. It is a state in which my ego mind is quiet. It is that state in which I know the essence of my consciousness to be the same essence as all conscious beings. That is a state that is beyond fear. And you have to go through fear to get to that state. And it's where we experience the perfection of all things. But I still think we're left with the question of the unfairness of it all. I mean, I'm sure those refugees think of the unfairness of it all. 
Can we really be expected to have that attitude as we're being, as we're trying to get into a train to, you know, get to Poland to get away, as we're being forced into a gas chamber, or as a child is taken from us, or as we suffer terribly at the effects of life? And of course, the answer to that question about the unfairness of it all is uncomfortable. And it's that our, our well-being is not necessarily the most important thing on the planet. And I say that because that does tend to be the way that we think about it. We see ourselves as the center of things, the center of everything, and therefore the priority. We see it in the way we pray, a list of things that we should think that God should pay attention to, mostly around our concerns. You know, men, little Jimmy's leg, have Aunt Kathy get better, make Dad's temper better. And oh yes, can the Rockies win the World Series? You know, the things that we pray for are extraordinary. But the truth is that in the scheme of things, you know, we may not necessarily be a priority. And that's hard, because it seems like that thing which we rely on is actually unreliable. But we have to tell the truth because we know it. In the wholeness of all creation, nature is red in tooth and claw. When a volcano needs to explode, it doesn't work out who's going to be killed and who will not be killed. It just explodes because the force of evolution that's been building up over the centuries need to vent. And if we're in the way, then there is nothing that can be done about it. But we what we can rely on, what we can rely on, is our connection to love. That connection within us to that perfection. It may not keep us alive, but it allows us, it allows us to die with that peace and love within us, if we could but connect to it. And that's true day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, second by second. But most of the time, connecting there is not a priority. You know, we just tend to go on living. And then in our moment of need, the moment when we know, most want to be saved, we then, you know, link in as much as we possibly can. Our salvation or our place of safety is there. And, you know, we know it's always there and we link in. In spite of that, we can determine how much that divine nature comes into our lives. Most of us let it in just a bit, but our minds tend to retain control. It's like, you know, we've got our house and, you know, that divine nature or God is our lodger. Rather than a participating member of the family, we say, yes, to God, I know that you're real, that, that divine nature. Come in and live in this small room in the house in the upstairs attic. I will come and visit you once a day or maybe once a week, uh, unless I have family commitments or it's spring break uh, when I might not be able to come and uh, say hello. In the meantime, you're not to enter into the other rooms. Rest assured, I will be thinking about you and I might even ask you to come and help me when I get into trouble. In those instances, I will call you up on the intercom and perhaps you'll do your best to help. 
If there is a dire emergency, I might invite you to come into my living room and be with me for a little while. But when it's over, I will expect you to go back to your room and stay there. I'll be able to handle things from there on. That's very different from sharing your house with God like a lover. That's what the whole of the Song of Songs is about. It's about living with God as a lover, as a constant presence, as a constant desire within us to be in connection with and a constant availability to be connected to. We need to, if we really want to live our lives in that way, to live with that divine nature as our lover. Come in and live with me. Have the best room in the house. Share my room. Would you like to redecorate? When would you like your meals? How shall I change the way I run my house to suit you? That is genuinely living together. And that's what we're offered in our lives. Not that we will be kept from ill and danger or even death, but that we can live in fellowship with that perfection. That is what's on offer. I'm going to end with that lovely poem by Rumi, which I think sort of addresses all of this. It's called Out Beyond Ideas. I'm sure all of you have heard it. Out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and right-doing, there is a field. I will meet you there. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about. Ideas, language, even the phrase each other doesn't make any sense. Thanks for listening. If you feel moved to make a donation to the chapel, please go to aspenchapel.org. Thank you. And if you'd like to receive these podcasts regularly, Subscribe to the Aspen Chapel through Apple, Google Play, YouTube, or any other outlet.